Find other great podcasts like this one at podmoth.network. Hey, freaky friends. It's Michelle and Melissa from the Freaky Fridays podcast. We are sisters in separate states and love to talk about all kinds of spooky, freaky, and scary shit while drinking and laughing through our fear. Join us Fridays as we delve into everything from the world of the paranormal to scary movies to creepy stuff we find around the internet. Subscribe to Freaky Fridays wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Sleep tight. Make sure you leave the lights on. Freaky Fridays is a proud member of the Podmoth Network. For more awesome pods, check out podmoth.network. Welcome to Bad Axe Podcast. I'm your host, Danielle Blinka. And I'm your co-host, Aaron. Bad Axe is brought to you by the Podmoth Media Network. Check out Podmoth for more great podcasts. You can support the show and get over two years of bonus episodes over at patreon.com backslash Pod. Additionally, you get ad-free episodes. There is a link in our show notes and membership start at just $1.00. We have three different levels, and you get benefits at each one. Also, if you hate Patreon, it's not your jam, and you still want to get our subscriber episodes, you can do that through your podcast platform by just signing up for the subscription through that. It's $5, and you get our monthly mini episode and full-length bonus episode with that membership, and I am slowly adding our Patreon backlog as well, so you will still get those Because, you know, benefits are benefits, right? Also, apparently this has led to some drama with a few listeners. I totally understand that it's irritating to have locked episodes in your feed. I get that. I sympathize. I'm definitely you. Because I I do have a few Patreon subscriptions to some of my favorite podcasts. But again, I don't subscribe to every podcast that I like because, I mean, I have a limited amount of money, like we all do. And so I get it that I might not be your podcast that you want to invest in because, I mean, you probably have other ones to support, plus the economy sucks. And sometimes you just, you just can't afford it. Or maybe it's just not your jam. I totally get that. At the same time, it's a lot of work to do the podcast. And I feel like for people that are able to support us, I want to give them more opportunities to do that. And we recently had a really bad review from, I guess, a regular listener because this person had previously left a different review and changed it based on the location of where the review is because it's not presented as a new review. It's like they took it down and put it back up. And she had several complaints that I kind of want to address, actually. One of them was about us putting the episodes in her subscription feed, which I understand people being frustrated about. But I also feel like there's a level of entitlement if you are angry that we are even attempting to put out a paid product. It makes me feel like she feels entitled to our work without having to pay anything or be inconvenienced, if that makes sense. I understand that some of you may not want to contribute financially or may not be able to, and I totally get it. I'm you. Like, that's me for most of the podcasts I listen to. 
I just don't think it's fair for her to feel entitled to not even have the opportunity for paid products presented to her yeah. when she's getting something for free, if that makes sense. Oh, no, it totally does. Yeah. But the most important part of the review I wanted to address is that she said that because of my sometimes Southern accent that definitely I speak with at times, that it makes me sound uneducated. And she specifically mentioned that it was my voice. She didn't say language or word choice. She said that my voice sounded uneducated at times. And I just want to point out that that is an offensive stigma that happens with Southern accents. I grew up in Texas. I was born here. I was raised here. And I definitely have an innate Texas accent that at times I have tried to hide. For a long time, I wouldn't even say the word y'all. Because, you know, I went to college, I have four degrees, and there's a lot of stigma around people having a Southern accent or speaking with another dialect. And that's not something that I feel like we should be carrying into 2023. There's a lot of really intelligent, really educated people that have Southern accents and also that speak with other dialects, like African-American vernacular comes to mind. I feel like even though there's definitely still a situation in our our society where people have to engage in code switching in order to be perceived in a positive light by certain groups of people. I don't think it's appropriate for us to continue to carry on that. And I don't want this podcast to be a place where we're advocating for that. Because she suggested that some of her favorite podcasts pay someone who's a better speaker to do the podcast. That's not really what this podcast is about. I feel like you guys are all my friends That's what I like about podcasts. Two of my favorite podcasts, which both also have hosts with Southern accents, include True Crime Campfire and United States of Murder. And all of those ladies are very smart and very fun and engaging hosts. And they all make you feel like they're your bestie. That's something I really hope we can accomplish with our podcast because I genuinely think of you as my friends. I don't feel like I should have to put on a fake character voice, which I mean I could do because I'm an actor. (laughs) She does very, very good accents, Mm y'all, but that's not the point. I know. So if you'd like, we could actually do like a nice British accent for you. This is sort of a generic one. I could tailor it if necessary. And maybe we could do this for the podcast if you'd like. Well, she can, but my British accent is really terrible, (laughs) as you can tell from me trying to do it. So (laughs) only one of us could do an accent and uh, the other one of us would sound terrible no matter what I do. Okay. Well, people love you, though, Aaron. People, Aaron's the best part of the podcast. That's not true. Anyway, I don't want to talk about this forever because I realize that that's not why you're here. I just felt like I need to address that because I think that it's really inappropriate for people to make judgments about someone's education level or intelligence based on their accent. Yep, that's absolutely and true. I'm also not going to pretend to be a character. If you don't like the way that I sound, just don't listen to the podcast. Yep, people be hating. All right, so if you would like to support the show for free and counter this lady's review, you can leave us a positive review and also tell a friend about us. We appreciate that. Now, on to today's case. Today, we are going to a city called West Kendall in the Miami suburbs in 2011. West Kendall is a small community in the southwest Miami-Dade metropolitan area. It's a middle-class area with a lot of planned communities, and it looks very suburban. 
part of Miami. It's kind just of. there. It's like <laughs> Miami Metro. It's just thing. being a good suburb. Hey, that's cool. Two thumbs up. Yeah. Back in 2011, 50-year-old Elizabeth Roxana Palomino, who is often just called Roxana, lived in West Kendall with her husband of 27 years, Percy, and her daughter, Carla, who was an adult by that time. The couple also had a son named Rodrigo, who was studying at college and no longer lived at home. He was actually off studying law. Oh, very nice. The family moved into their spacious home back in 1997, which was the realization of a long-term goal. They had immigrated to the United States from Peru back in 1992, and it took a lot of hard work to reach their goal of owning a home. According to Percy, buying a house had been their American dream, but that's not the only part of their dream that they had realized, because both Percy and Roxana built successful careers in the United States. Percy operated his own business, which he called Bright Floor International. And based on me trying to look up more information about Bright Floor International, it appears to have been a cleaning company. That's pretty cool. Roxana worked for a Taco Bell, and she slowly worked her way up to a senior management position. And I don't know if you guys know someone who's worked in senior management positions in fast food service, but those are usually pretty well-paying jobs. And she was able to provide a great life for her children. And this included some family hobbies. The Palominos loved dancing. And both Carla and Rodrigo were excellent dancers. In fact, Carla was so talented that she earned a spot in a professional dancing company in Los Angeles as a teenager. Bloody FM presents... Hometown Ghost Stories, a paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week, bringing you all the hauntings, from haunted houses to castles, bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons. Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted. Oh, that's awesome. I know. As hard as it was to let their daughter move out young, the Palominos supported her dreams and wanted her to thrive, so they let her pursue her life as a dancer. As time passed, Roxana and Percy came up with an idea to keep the dream alive closer to home. In 2009, 21-year-old Carla moved back to the Miami area to help her parents operate a salsa dancing studio. Oh, nice. To help cover the overhead, they also opened a banquet hall so that the space would make more money because they could rent it out for parties and events and pretty much anything people wanted to do there. Oh, yeah. They called this business Salsamore Banquet Hall and Dance Studio, which is fun because it's a salsa dancing studio and its name is like Salsamore. And like Amor is also there. Yes. Yeah, that's pretty funny. It's fun. There's no E at the end. Yeah, so you're right. Let's kind of like... Love salsa, mm-hmm. or just salsa more. And love, and more yes. salsa, yeah, absolutely. We're doing lots of salsa dancing. Carl yep. ran the dance studio while Roxana managed the banquet hall. They soon got so popular that Roxana left her career at Taco Bell to go full-time with the family business. 
Percy joined his wife and daughter in making the business a success. He helped set up the parties, ran events, and managed staff members. Their staffing needs fluctuated depending on how big the events were, so it was important for these employees to be people that they could trust. It sounds kind of like, almost like contract stuff, you know, like where you have a gig sometimes but not always. A couple of years before they opened Salsamore, Percy became friends with a guy who did a lot of handyman work. This friend was 31-year-old Rainiero Alfonso Rivero, who went by Ray. The two men met while playing pool, which was a favorite hobby of Percy. Like the Palominos, Rivero had immigrated to the United States, though he moved from Cuba. Ray often struggled to find steady employment because of a disability that people misjudged. He couldn't really use his right arm after an injury that he said happened during a car accident. Additionally, he had a glass eye. He told people that he had lost his eye in the same car crash, but in reality, he'd actually tried to end his life. Oh, no. And he had shot under his chin, and it went diagonally through his skull and basically went through his eye. Oh, wow. Yeah, so he survived, but he had damage to his face. And obviously, they can't just, like, fix an eye. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so he had the glass eye, and people would assume that because his arm was limp and because his eye was missing, that he couldn't perform physical labor, which is wrong. Yeah. And also, they were incorrect, because he actually did pretty solid work as a handyman. Percy had a big heart, and he hated to see his friends struggle with money, and so he started hiring him to do small jobs around his house. This proved to be successful. Percy saw that Ray was a competent worker, so he just kept giving him more and more work. And eventually, once they had Sawsamore open, they started to hire Ray to do work around the dance hall. He would both do handyman stuff, and he would also work the events. The couple also considered Ray a friend. I mean, I told you before that he and Percy were definitely buddies. They played pool together and did guy stuff. He would also hang out with Roxana, though, because a lot of times when he would be at their house fixing stuff, Roxana would be there and she would offer him a cup of coffee or, like, have a meal with him or let him stay for dinner with the family. So they got to know him really well and they got very close with him. Meanwhile, Roxana and Percy's son, Rodrigo, had been attending college close to home, but now that he was moving on to study law... He was actually going to the University of Orlando. So that meant that he moved out of their house and they kind of had an empty nest. Carla had moved back home. So she was still kind of in that transition period as she was taking off as a dance instructor. But they had some empty space going on in their lives. And also they had these new expenses with Rodrigo being in college. So they decided to rent out their garage apartment. Before Roxana and Percy bought this house, the prior owner had actually converted the garage into a living space. And so it was an efficiency apartment or a studio apartment and didn't have like, it wasn't a big and luscious, but it was definitely a nice living space for someone who was living alone. Yeah, that makes sense. They found the perfect tenant in 29-year-old Alejandro Lopez, who was studying to be a chef. 
Like the Palominos, Alejandro also had immigrated to the United States from South America. So they had that in common. And it kind of just seems serendipitous that they found this single guy who was still completing his education, who was an immigrant that could come live in their apartment. Everything seemed to be going well for the Palominos in spring of 2011. They had a son studying law, a daughter running her own successful dance studio, a successful business, a lovely home, and an extra income from a quiet tenant. What could be better? I don't know. But there was a hint that all wasn't going right in their world. Because the Palominos started noticing things going missing around their home. And these were valuable things. For instance, one day, Roxana's laptop was just suddenly not there. That's a red flag. Yeah. So they started fighting with each other over this because they're like, who's taking the items, right? But they would kind of gaslight themselves about what might have happened. Like, maybe we left it at the business or maybe it's over here. And just kind of like decide to look for it later, even though it was clear that things were starting to go missing. Yeah, that's the kind of thing I would do. Soon, they had a problem in the family business as well. One day, Carla arrived to work at the dance studio, and she saw the shadow of someone slipping out the back door. Uh Uh-oh. Like, she walks in, and this person slips out. Yeah. So, she's like, did I just see that? Then, when she got into her office, she saw that there was a wallet in a phone laying on the desk. And she looked through the wallet and saw that the wallet belonged to Ray. Uh Uh-oh. Their friend, Ray Rivero. Yes. Yeah. And she knew that this wasn't there last night because she had actually closed up the night before and had done like a walkthrough. So she knew there was nothing out of place. Like this is something she would have noticed. So she decided to confront Ray about it. And he said that he had just left it after work the day before. Well, she knew that this was wrong. So she went and talked to her mom because, I mean, at that point, you kind of have to escalate it, right? Yeah, for sure. Something is wrong. You Mm got to let them know. Yeah. And coupled with the fact that she saw someone slipping out, she's pretty sure that's what was going on. Like, he was in the business when he wasn't supposed to. Yeah. So she told her mom, Roxana, about it. And Roxana actually confronted Ray as well. He still denied doing anything, but she did not believe him. And so she talked to Percy, and they decided that as a solution, they were just going to stop hiring him for events there. Because it was this wasn't the kind of thing where they knew that he'd done anything wrong. They just didn't want him breaking rules and lying to them. So with his employment being flexible, they're just like, we'll just not give him any new jobs. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty reasonable reaction, I think. Yeah. Unfortunately for them, though, it's easier said than done. Because they actually had a big party planned a few days later, which was Friday, April 15th, 2011. And they were going to need a lot of staff for this party and they just didn't have enough people to do it without ray so they called ray and offered him the gig and of course he accepted and he worked the party like normal it actually kind of seemed like everything was okay and so they considered giving him more work it kind of sounds like percy didn't necessarily want to let his friend go yeah but at the same time they were just still trying to figure out how to navigate the situation Yeah, it's a sticky situation. The next night, which was April 16th, 2011, they had a smaller party booked. And so Percy told Ray to just take the night off. On Saturday, April 16th, 2011, the Palominos spent the afternoon prepping for a party at their banquet hall. 
They finished decorating by around 7 p.m. But once they had everything set out, they realized that they didn't have the normal amount of party supplies that they would want for a party of that size, just to make sure that everybody had what they needed. Plus, Roxana was tired and she was kind of dirty just from doing all the work that day. So she decided that she would go get the supplies and then that way she could stop home and change clothes and maybe have some food before heading back to the party. She left Sawsamore with her friend Carmen Ramos to get the supplies and then she went to her house. At around 9.30 p.m., she talked to Percy on the phone and he told her that they had actually been final supplies. They had made it work. The party had actually started at 8 p.m. So they'd been going for about an hour and a half. And he was like, we actually were good on it. So you don't need to come back if you don't want to. And she was feeling really tired. Like they were working most days of the week at this time. So she was like, yeah, since you don't need me, I'll stay here and just kind of rest. And he would manage the, the banquet hall for the rest of the night by himself. Also at around 9.30 p.m., Roxana talked to her daughter Carla over the phone, and this was the last time that her family spoke to her. Percy got home from the banquet hall at around 1 o'clock a.m. When he entered the family home, he immediately noticed something wrong. Roxana had two yappy chihuahuas that always ran to the door to greet people as they entered, but the dogs did not come that night. That is a... It's a red flag. I mean, chihuahuas are always running and barking yes. and shit. Like, if, if they're not making noise, then something's different. Uh-huh. <laughs> I know. Wrong. I'm like, oh, no, chihuahuas. Yeah, my, my grandparents had one for a while. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it was a good dog. But, man, that dog will yes. bark and bark and bark and bark and bark. When I was a teenager, I babysat all summer for the neighbors. And they had a chihuahua. And it fucking hated me. <laughs> and, yes, that dog never missed an opportunity. Oh, yeah. Like, even in the window. Like, it just knew somehow. When I was going to be coming. It Mm -hmm. freaking hated me so bad. So yeah. Like not seeing a chihuahua. I'm like oh no. Is the (laughs) dog here? Because something's wrong. Yep. Also next. He did see a broken lamp on the floor as well. So at this point he knows that something has gone down. Alarmed. He called out for his wife. And he looked for Roxana. And found their bedroom in disarray. So The furniture shifted all around. Clearly something has happened. This is no good. Worried for Roxana's safety, he started searching the house for her. That's when he saw the light on in his son's bedroom. Since Rodrigo was away at college, his room was unoccupied. So this is also a red flag. Oh, yeah. Percy went to open the door to see what was going on inside, but he found it blocked. And he actually had to force the door open. Inside, he found his wife lying in a pool of blood. Oh, no. Percy ran to Roxana, shouting, Roxana, Roxana. He tried to lift her up to help, but her head fell back. And he realized at that moment that she had actually been almost decapitated. Oh, my God. He was much too late to save her. In his efforts to help, Percy got blood all over himself. The natural reaction was that since he had it on his hands, he went and washed his hands off, but it was still splattered on the rest of him. Yeah, of course. In a daze, Percy immediately called his daughter Carla. That was his first thought was, call Carla. So he called Carla, and he tried her multiple times, but she didn't answer because she was working. She was working at a nightclub at that time. And so 
he stopped calling her after he realized he wasn't going to get a hold of her. And this all happened at around 1.20 a.m. Along with his daughter, Percy also called his best friends, Louise and Carmen Ramos. You'll remember them from earlier because they had actually helped set up the party. And Carmen is the one who had left the party with Roxana. When Louise answered, Percy told him that he had just found Roxana dead and he was clearly in a panic. And so Louise said they would help him. And they, Louise is the one that called 911 to get help. And then they also headed over to the house to just see what they could do. Yeah. Around this time, Carla called her dad back. And he just kept repeating, your mom is dead. Oh, God. Which is so terrible. Yeah, that's such a traumatic way Very to find triggering that out. But for those of us who have lost our moms. But yeah, yes. for sure. I mean, I can kind of understand where he's coming mm-hmm. from. Because, I mean, honestly, if you experience something like that i mean you're not going to be thinking about yeah like, what's the most tactful way to, to deliver this because you're just in shock yeah right? just total shock yeah carla is the one who had to call her brother rodrigo to let him know what was going on so he could head over so they could try to be there for their dad slash themselves and each other yeah yeah when the police arrived they found an extremely bloody scene and percy pacing outside the home Authorities found his behavior to be super weird, especially since he didn't call 911 and he had all that blood all over him. In addition to the police, Louise and Carmen Ramos also arrived to help and Carla rushed home as well. And they all arrived on this chaotic scene. As police led Percy off for questioning, Louise and Carmen tried to give them a timeline of the night's events. They had helped set up for that event earlier, so they told them all about the fact that they had all spent the day together and everything was normal at Sausamore. And then Roxana left with Carmen, and so they knew that Percy was still back at the facility. So, I mean, this is like a normal thing that would happen, right? Yeah. Investigators considered Percy their first suspect still, partially because he was Roxana's husband and partially because, again, he was covered in blood and he was... Very erratic. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. You start with the, with the spouse. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's common, so. But he wasn't the only suspect because the couple's tenant, Alejandro, came out when he noticed all the commotion going on. And he told the police that he had gotten home at around 9.30 p.m. that night. If you recall, that's around the, la- the last time that anyone talked to Roxana. So the police know that she had to be killed after 9.30. So that meant that Alejandro would have been there the entire time. Also, something suspicious that they noticed inside the house is that the blood appeared to lead like a trail to that efficiency apartment. Uh-oh, that's, that's yeah. a major red flag. So that seemed like a really big clue. So at this point, they have both Percy and Alejandro. And they wanted them to come in as for questioning. Because at this point, they're like, Alejandro, at the very least, might be a witness But he also seems like a good suspect. According to Alejandro, though, he was neither. He was very happy to talk to police. He even went down to the police station and talked to them without trying to have any type of attorney, even though that's really risky to do in any case. And he told them that despite being in the garage apartment, he did not hear or see anything that happened that night. Detectives did not believe this story. The reason why is because they knew that he would have been home while she was being killed and they could tell from the crime scene that she had tried to fight for her life and had like fled and stuff, you know, like she had run from her attacker based on the broken lamp and like the debris and stuff. 
And so they figured she was going to be screaming her head off. And they thought there was no way that he couldn't have heard her screaming. Yeah, it would have been a noisy situation. Yeah. That makes sense. So they decided to do a sound test. They actually put some detectives in the apartment and then had other people in the house where she was murdered screaming. And they found that it was actually pretty soundproof. Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, so it is very much possible and very believable that Alejandro did not hear anything. Now, one thing that made Alejandro a suspect besides the blood is that he was a chef and Roxana was stabbed. And so they were like, we have a chef. He's very skilled with a knife. He has knives. It makes sense that he would choose a knife. But he also didn't have any blood on him and there was no blood in his apartment. And as investigators kept looking at this evidence, it just didn't seem like he could possibly have been the killer. Yeah, yeah. So he was tentatively scratched off of the list. But they still had to look at the husband, Percy. As they were interrogating him, Carla and Rodrigo could not see their dad. Which I feel like has to be horrifying. Like, they've just lost their mom. They can't even go hug their dad or talk to their dad. Because they had to keep him away from them until they could get all of his, like, interrogation complete. So they're literally just... Going down to the police station and grieving and just crying and trying to just process this information while they wait for police to clear him. Fortunately, it wasn't that hard to rule out Percy because he had an alibi. He was at the banquet hall all evening running that event. And then as they were talking to him, they could tell that his anguish over losing Roxana really did seem authentic. Yeah. But again, the alibi really is what came in clutch here because it's, it's not like he was... At a place where there could be any doubt about where he was. I mean, there's people that are, you know, clients of his that are attendees at this party who are seeing him, you know, run the event. Like, it's not like it was just one person that's giving him this alibi. He's got a room full of people. Yeah, of course. So, police decided to move on to their next set of suspects. And next, we have all the Salsamore employees. Which I think was surprising to the Palominos. But at the same time, makes total sense that they would all be suspects. However, all of them also had that alibi of working during the event, right? Except for one person, right? Because Ray Rivero was off that night. Uh-oh. Because they were trying not to give him as much work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was like the only employee left on the list. After Ray started to become a suspect, people started thinking back and realizing that in recent weeks, his behavior had become more and more disturbed. He has started acting really restless, like something was weighing on him. And he'd been complaining a lot about money. He always struggled for money and he would often bum a few bucks off of Percy because Percy would just give him money when he needed it because he felt sorry for him. And it wasn't like a lot of money, but it would kind of be like, I don't have money for food. He would give him like, you know, five bucks, 10 bucks here, 20 bucks there, which obviously adds up. But it's not like he's taking out huge loans or anything. Yeah. And so, and Percy didn't just consider this to be, like, extra cash that he was just giving his friend. But now, Ray seemed to be in dire straits with Buddy. And when they were doing their pool games, because they would go play pools with their friends, whenever he would lose, he would freak the fuck out and just completely lash out. Like, it wasn't a game with friends. Like, there, like this was some kind of critical moment in his life. 
And so this started to seem like some red flags after they know that he could be a suspect. And after Roxana's murder, the weird behavior got even weirder. So the day after, Ray called on his own and asked if they knew who did it. Like someone else had told him about the crime. Hmm. And Percy told him no. And he actually asked him to work the event that was scheduled that night. Because the next day, which was Sunday, they had a party scheduled. And Percy had decided that even though he was grieving and he had lost Roxana, he didn't want to cancel these people's party. It was just kind of like something that he didn't believe in. So he wanted Ray to come in because obviously he needed a lot of help. Because it's not like he's functioning at full capacity right now. Yeah, you can't really run the pro- the party yourself. Exactly. So he asked Ray to come in, and Ray said he couldn't work that night. Percy didn't press the issue, but he thought it was weird because Ray always needed money. And so he thought, is it possible that he was just really upset about Roxana dying? Like, could that be the reason? He also, though, started to wonder if it was possible that Ray really was guilty. It's possible, yeah, for sure. I mean, Mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. After that call, Ray stopped checking in with Percy, and he also stopped taking all of his calls. And it was almost like he was avoiding him. And based on that evasive behavior, Percy definitely started to suspect that his friend had something to do with his wife's murder. After all, he depended on them for money, and he suddenly wasn't asking for work. He wasn't accepting work that was being offered and he wasn't even asking for just cash yeah which is all red flags yeah the police also considered to be ray their main suspect at this point when they went to go look for him they actually found out that a friend had dropped him off at a nearby mental hospital not too long after roxana's murder this hospital is called jackson memorial hospital and he was undergoing treatment at the facility and that's why he hadn't been at salsamore He also had been away from his phone at this time because they basically just took his phone away. Hospital employees told the police that they could not go talk to him in the hospital. So they would have to wait for him to get out of the hospital to be interviewed. Yeah, yeah. Which I guess makes sense because if someone's having some type of breakdown, you probably don't want them talking to the police. Yeah, yeah, that would be a bad time to talk to the cops. Yes. As it turns out, this was not Ray's first day at Jackson Memorial Hospital. He had actually checked himself into the hospital multiple times for mental health issues. According to his friends, though, he wasn't really using it to get treatment for mental health problems. He was actually using the hospital as a place to sleep and eat when he had nowhere to go. Oh, wow. Yeah, so he basically used the hospital as a homeless shelter instead of going to, like, a normal facility for homelessness. And since he had gotten homeless... Again, in recent days, he had gone back to the facility so that he would have somewhere to get a meal. Which is depressing, by the way. Obviously, we shouldn't have people living out on the streets and feeling the pressure to go pretend to be having mental health problems to get help. Yeah, for sure. Although, ironically, it's normally really hard to get help for your problems, so... Yeah, go figure. Yeah. After a few days in the facility, Ray got access to a phone and he used it to call Percy. He explained that he was in the hospital, but he was due to be released that Friday. And he said that he would come by, saw some more when he got out to talk about some more work. 
Immediately, Percy called the police to let them know where they could intercept Ray. Because he, at this point, agreed that Ray seemed like the best suspect. And so that way, the police could come meet up with him. And initially, Percy had thought that they would just meet up with him at Salsamore. But as the authorities had been investigating Ray's movements, they started to decide that they needed to talk to him even sooner. So they had talked to Ray's friends and they had learned that Ray had a gambling addiction. One of his friends had actually seen Ray on Sunday, which was the day after the murder, and he had been acting super weird. He got absolutely plastered and he was sporting a long gash on his face. Oh, that's not good. Yeah. So the police obviously are having like a ding, 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 ding moment. Yeah. Because this man has a whole, you know, wound as if from an attack the day after the murder. Yep. That's a huge red flag. Yeah. And honestly, gambling addiction is a really good motive. It really is. So detectives decided to pick Ray up as he left the mental hospital and go ahead and question him there. When they brought him in for questioning, Ray immediately started lying to detectives. And the reason why they knew he was lying is because they were asking him basic questions about his movements that night. And he started by saying that he actually worked the night of the murder. Which they know is not true. Yeah, they knew that wasn't true. And so they know that he's already starting out of the gate lying, which is obviously not good. They also asked him about his obvious injury of that gash on his face. And he had an explanation. So don't have to worry about this, Aaron. He said that he had hurt himself by running into a carport. Oh, yeah, because that happens all the time. Yeah. When police asked about Roxanna's murder, Ray told them a made-up version about how he learned of it. He claimed that he found out about Roxanna's murder from the Salsamore bartender shortly after it happened. Like, this bartender had just called him and been like, Hey, Roxanna was murdered. Yeah, I don't know about that either. Mm-hmm. Based on this conversation, he claims that he expected the banquet hall to be closed in response to the murder, and he figured that he would have the night off, and that's why he had gone to the casino to gamble with his friends, and why he had refused to work that Sunday. Hmm, I don't know about that either. Yeah, like he just had already traveled to the casino and was like, oh man, I can't work because I figured you'd close for the murder. Yeah, yeah, I don't buy that. Investigators did not fully believe his story, but that's not a basis for an arrest. Like, at this point, they don't really have enough to go on. However, Ray Rivero made a critical mistake during his lie version of what happened that night. Police had asked him what he was wearing on the night of the murder so they could recover that clothing, because they want to test it for blood and whatnot. And Ray was explaining what he wore and said, quote, I was wearing black when I left Percy's house, unquote. Uh Uh-oh. Put yourself at the murder scene, bud. Yes. Immediately, the detective's ears perked up, and they were like, I'm sorry, where were you when you left Percy's house? Because you just said Percy. The crime scene, actually, ironically, is at Percy's house, and that's where you were, so... Yeah, how could you be working if you're at the murder scene? Yeah, there's been an oopsie. So, he tried to backtrack and said that he called the entire area Percy's house. (laughs) yeah that's a pretty weak lie oh it's a weak lie and obviously they did not believe that so this gives them their in and their pressure point for them to keep pushing him and with continued questioning he next admitted that he did go over to percy's house at around 7 or 7 30 p.m and his intention was to borrow some money 
He claimed, though, that he had knocked on the door and that nobody had answered, which would have made sense because around that time, nobody would have been home because if you recall, Roxana had gone to go get those supplies with Carmen. And so she likely wouldn't have been home before 730. So in theory, the house would have been empty at that time. But the detectives weren't going to back off here because what are the chances that this guy who has the gash on his face has been acting weird, has this gambling issue? What are the chances that he just happened to go to the crime scene before the murder took place? Not too good. No. So they decided to add some extra pressure in a way that police usually like to do. They told him that they knew he was lying because they had DNA and fingerprints to prove that he was lying. Ah, they used the old lie to the suspect. Yes. That is when Ray cracked. Sort of. Next, he explained that as the handyman for the Palominos, he knew about a broken window latch. Uh Uh-oh. Yes. And this window latch had been broken for a while, and so the window did not lock. Percy had actually asked him to fix it. Instead of fixing it, he just used it to enter the house and steal things. So all of those stolen items that they had been losing had been things that Ray was actually climbing in the window, stealing the stuff, and then pawning it so that he could get gambling. Yeah. Yeah, or stealing money and just using that directly to gamble. On the day that he went to go borrow money, he says that when nobody answered the door, he just opened the window and went inside. And you're not going to believe this. He actually did not kill Roxana. Yeah, right. He just found her there. Of course he did, but he did nothing to help. Well, or report it. Yeah, well, that's his version of events. I guess he, he was trying to argue that he wouldn't want to be in the house or have people know he was in the house when he wasn't supposed to be. Right. Obviously, though, this is a made-up story. Not just because it's stupid, but but also just because they have a timeline. Like, they know she was talking to people at 9.30. So if he went to the house at 7.30, knocked on the door, and then climbed to the window, she wouldn't be there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so they called him out on this lie again. And this is when he finally admitted what really happened. I don't really know why he thought this lie would work in the first place, just because admitting that you had access to the crime scene, because there's no forced entry, right? Telling them how you got into the house is not your best plan. No, no, it really isn't. But here's what he finally said happened. He had gone to the house that night to steal money or something else that he could use to sell for gambling funds. He knew that the family worked super late on Saturday nights and all of them were expected to be out of the house because Roxana and Percy would be at Salsamore running this event and Carla would be at her job at the nightclub. So he expected that the house would be empty and he could just easily sneak in, steal something and get out. Unfortunately, that was the one night that Roxana decided to go home early and rest after working so hard every single day for so long. While he was inside trying to steal things, Roxana came home early, and when he heard her moving around the house, Ray hid in the couple's closet. It's likely that he thought that she would just leave soon after that since he expected her to go back to the event hall, but she decided to stay. He was able to hide in this closet for about 20 minutes until he thought that he heard her leave. He was wrong. She wasn't leaving. 
And this is around the time that Roxana went into her bedroom and opened up her closet. Oh, and no. found Ray there. Yeah. Yeah. She screamed because she was frightened, obviously. As you would be, yeah. And she ran away. He chased her for some reason. It doesn't completely make sense why he didn't just run out. Because I feel like even if she recognized him, they had the kind of relationship that either they wouldn't have pressed charges or they would have been minor. I mean, for this. And he always could have said he was trying to fix something. I mean, like, I'm not trying to defend him. I'm just saying don't murder somebody. Yeah, I mean, the consequences for for just... Being in the closet. Yeah, are way less than for murder. Yeah. Yeah. But instead of just leaving, he chased her. And at some point, he claims that she grabbed the lamp to defend herself. And Ray says that she actually hit him with that lamp during a struggle. Where he was attacking her, by the way. Yep. In his version of events, he tries to make it sound like he had to defend himself against her for attacking him for being in the house. Which makes no fucking sense. Because you are in her house. Yeah, exactly. Also, he's clearly the one attacking her. But regardless, that's kind of how he likes to present things. Roxana ran to her son's bedroom and closed the door, locking it behind her. She was trying to hide from Ray and was hoping that he would leave. But instead of leaving, he continued to chase her and he kicked the bedroom door open. One of them, it's unclear who since we only have one version of events, grabbed a knife from the kitchen at some point during this struggle. Ray tries to say that she was grabbing the knife to defend herself, but it really seems more like he grabbed the knife as he was chasing her. What's for sure is that Ray ended up with the knife and he stabbed Roxana to death with it. He stabbed her in the chest first, and once she fell down face forward, he stabbed her several more times in her back. Oh, wow. In total, he stabbed her five times. That's a lot of times. And one of those stabs were to her neck, where he, like, mutilated her throat, and that's how she was almost decapitated. Dang. Ray maintained to the police and later... That he did not mean to kill her and that he was just trying to escape when the murder happened. But, again, he stabbed her five times and almost decapitated her. So, like, no. Yeah, for real. I mean, everyone pretty much agrees that he didn't go there to commit a murder. He was there to commit a theft. But, I mean, once you grabbed a knife, chased her down, and murdered her... That's murder. That's when the choice happened. Yep. Investigators continued searching for more evidence to cooperate this confession, just so they had a good case. And in a new construction near the house, they located Ray's clothing from that night, and it was covered in Roxanna's blood. Within five days of her murder, investigators arrested 35-year-old Ray Rivero. The prosecutor charged him with first-degree murder and armed occupied burglary. When they learned that Ray killed Roxana, the Palominos felt extra betrayed since they had been so kind and generous with him. They had basically treated him like a family member. And then he went and did this to them. Yeah, for real. It's it's an ultimate betrayal. Yeah, it's disgusting. Yeah. Absolutely a tragedy, especially considering how close his family was and all they had worked to do. And the fact that they were so giving to their community... And then they get taken away just for doing, basically for doing good deeds. Yeah, legit. 
A month after the murder, on May 17, 2011, Ray Rivero pleaded guilty to second-degree murder and burglary with battery. In exchange for his guilty plea, he received life in prison without parole, rather than facing the death penalty at trial. Yeah. Yeah, it just made sense for both sides, because he was going to continue to maintain that he didn't mean to do it, and as long as they get in, in life in prison, it doesn't really matter if it's second or first. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, he gets to not get the death penalty. So I guess it's kind of a win-win. Yeah. Except for, obviously, it can't bring Roxana back. Exactly, yeah. Obviously, this has been really hard for her family and also just for the people whose lives that she touched, which sounds like it was a lot of people through all these events that they were throwing. And Ray is just in prison, wasting away. Yeah, what so, a waste. Yeah, I know, just a total waste. I just thought this case was really interesting and wanted to talk to you guys about it. There's a couple of different, like, versions of the events leading up to the murder that you can find. Because there's there's actually two shows about this one. I partially picked it because of that. Because I just felt like I needed that this week. Sometimes it's just nice to hear some of the family members talk and everything, you know. And, like, be interviewed. Which is good. And also, too, that's how I heard that she was called Roxana. Because her first name is Elizabeth. And so most of the... Information about this case has, like, her full name and not just Roxana. So, that's why I'm calling her Roxana because that's what her family members were calling her. So, I wanted to, to honor that by also using that name. Yeah, for real. Another thing that came up in the review that I wanted to mention <laughs> was that she called the podcast a filler for when you're, like, waiting for the next episode of, like, the podcast you really love. Oh, you're talking about the review lady I'm again? so sorry. I just remembered that I had thought about this when I was reading Taco Bell. That, that Roxanne worked at Taco Bell because when I read the filler part, I was like, okay. I mean, I feel like all of us who love podcasts, you know, you have a couple that are your ultimate favorite. But of course, most podcasts, the least true crime podcasts, come out with one episode a week. So it's not like you can only listen to one podcast unless you just don't listen to podcasts a lot. Yeah. But as a person who loves podcasts, I listen to other podcasts that maybe aren't my favorite, but I like them enough that like I enjoy listening to them. And so that is apparently what we worked to this person, which is fine because I'm happy to be your filler podcast. And I, I forgot that I totally forgot about the Taco Bell aspect of the case because in my mind, as I was reading it, I was like, I will be your crunch wrap. <laughs> like I will be your bean burrito with no onions and extra mild sauce. Like I don't need to be your sushi dinner. Like I get it. Like I'm, I might not be your steak dinner with like seasoned vegetables or whatever is tasty or your what's a really expensive fish that you can buy like at a restaurant like um, swordfish maybe like sure i know that i'm not everyone's swordfish or delicious enchiladas with like mole sauce and sauteed vegetables are you just hungry at this point i am hungry but also <laughs> i will i'm willing to be your value taco pack crunchy taco only I will even be your Doritos Dos Loco, whatever it's called, taco. I don't like those, but I will be your Dorito taco. <laughs> I will be that for you in your life. Like, I don't need to be your favorite thing. I don't know that that's an insult because I feel like all of us, most of us have like one or two like really core, like this is my favorite one. And then we have a bunch of like, these are my other podcasts that I like. I'm willing to just be your other podcast that you like. I'm I I'm there for you, bestie. And we can make this work. 
I am a burrito, but I have extra cheese in me and also a lot of sauce on me. And it's delicious. I can't have Taco Bell anymore. I'm allergic to gluten. I found out a few years ago and I miss Taco Bell. Like, I will be your Taco Bell. It's not payday. You got a couple more days to go, but you need a treat. Pull up the Taco Bell. Come over here. I'll be your Taco Bell. (laughs) I got the episodes for you. I will be that for you. I'm all of your Taco Bells. So, yes. Come for the crimes. Stay for the apparently southern accent that I do sometimes. It's my real voice that I... I don't even know what my voice sounds like anymore because I definitely had a Texas accent and I try to cover it up. And I know I've been successful in the past because people would be like, oh, you're from Texas. I never would have been able to tell you have no accent. And then sometimes, especially when I get worked up, that's where the podcast gets me. Because when I get worked up, I have no control over it. And it gets really Texas up in here. So, I mean, it's just going to happen, y'all. Hence the y'all. Also, if you don't say y'all, I give you permission. I know some of you, we have listeners from all over the world. Oh, also one of the things that she mentioned in her review, which I swear this is the last thing, was that apparently I guess I had been like happy that I'd heard of Lancaster, Pennsylvania in one of the episodes. I don't remember. We we have a lot of episodes, y'all, and I don't remember all of the things from all of them. And because people will mention like, oh, whenever you said something about something, I'm like, I don't remember that episode, but okay. Anyway, she was like, who doesn't know about Lancaster? And I was like, ma'am, we have listeners from all over the freaking world. I think there's like 128 countries that have listened or something. It's a lot. It's like, I want to say, I'm not sure the exact number, but I think it's like over half of the countries in the world. We have had someone listen. And obviously not everyone's going to know about Lancaster, Pennsylvania specifically, I mean, why would they? Yeah, it's true. That would be weird. (laughs) If someone was like in Kenya and was like, you know what I like? Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Unless they just happen to go there. Yeah, I mean, that's true. There there are places in the world where they don't know where Houston is. Yeah, because it's not like prominent. Like, we don't know all the cities. (laughs) Well, yeah, for sure. I think that's one of the fun things about doing international crimes is like looking up other cities and like, getting to see pictures and where they are on the map mapping stuff out is wild because sometimes i feel like australia is one that gets me because it's so big but i think it was was it last week or a week before one of the patreons we just had an australia case and like oh yeah it was it was on one of the um patreon episodes there was like a 10 hour drive between the two cities though and so whenever oh no that was that was the murder for hire case we just did oh my god guys well, the, the two cities that there were 10 hours between, in my mind, when I had originally was like, was like reading about the story, I assumed that the two cities were close together because I'm not from Australia. So I just was kind of like, okay, cool. This sounds like it's close together, but it's really far apart. And I feel like that's normal. So I'm sure we have a lot of listeners had no idea where Lancaster was or had never heard of it because why would they? Yeah, of course. But this is a fun way to learn about stuff. Yay. I get excited about learning about stuff. That's why there's always like a million extra facts (laughs) for stuff that's like things I don't know as much about to begin with. All right, peace. We'll let you go because we are going to go make some food. And also one of our cats is being very misbehaved right now. And we need to deal with that. She is on a tear today. 
So we will talk to you later. Thank you for listening. And please don't make judgments about people based on accents and also their vernacular. Because in the end, look, I have two English degrees. I get it. Grammar, sometimes when you're like used to it, it it bothers you and people don't use it correctly. But in the grand scheme of things, who fucking cares? And language evolves. It's the same reason why lol is a word now and ain't is a word now and meme is a word now and gif slash gif is a word now. It's okay for language to evolve and to change. There's no reason to be an asshole about it because life is short. What matters is that we're communicating with each other. We love you. Bye-bye. Bye.